Good morning, Church of the Valley. Okay, I need some energy because we are going to talk about kids with energy. And we're going to get excited because we are continuing our series on what is it you do here? And today, specifically, we're going to be talking about how we try to communicate uh, the gospel to all ages. Now, when we are teaching this series, we're trying to do our best to communicate our goals, our emphasis, uh, different ministries, and what we actually do here at Church of the Valley, and even the why behind the what of the work we put in each week, not only here on a Sunday morning service, but also in our daily pursuit of knowing and growing in Jesus Christ. Today we talk about our children's ministry and our youth ministry, and while both are ministries that care for those under the age of 18, essentially, both ministries are unique and are led by two very gifted and caring women alongside teams of people that want two demographics specifically to know and grow in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm very biased towards both of these ministries. First, my wife, Erin, is the children's director and literally the biggest kid whisperer I've ever met. And on top of that, for the first time ever, me as a parent, I have more youth group age kids than I have in children's ministry. That's super weird. And I did youth ministry at three different churches in my past life and really enjoyed investing in teenage ministry. And in my past life, I mean the jobs I had before. I don't believe in karma. Never mind. So both of these ministries are very important to our community and are not childcare. We don't do childcare. Say it with me. We don't do childcare. We teach our young the gospel. And investing in the young in our church community, both those that attend with their parents and by uh, encouraging those with outreach events are things that we prioritize because we believe that as the church of the living God, we ought to not just be inward focused. But what is it that we want these children to know? The gospel. The finished and complete work of Jesus Christ on behalf of every sinner who calls on the name of the Lord. And to be honest, I think every church that I've ever been a part of wanted this specific thing for their children, but also with a side of childcare. You know what I mean? But when we say the gospel, we teach our kids with lessons in mind that do not just point to maybe them being good or not embarrassing their parents but towards an affection for God who offers grace even when we fail. The gospel tends to be misinterpreted across the board as moral modification, not just for adults, but also for children. But I think Paul talks about it best when he says in Titus chapter 3, he says, but when the kindness and love of our God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth. We're reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out onto us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified, having been made right by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. It's out of God's kindness that he saves us through mercy, through grace, through his willingness to take our debt upon himself through the cross rather than judging us like we tend to judge others, which is through the good and bad stuff that we do. And it is through this mercy and grace that salvation, right standing, holiness, righteousness is available to each one of us. And that is what we attempt to teach our children. 
that they are important, that they are loved by God, and that they, have a, they can have a relationship with God through the person and sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I'm sure you know that we offer children's ministry on a Sunday morning. A lot of those serving in children's ministry just went back to the children's buildings. But what's it like? Do you know what happens in children's ministry? Not all of us have been a part of the check-in experience in the check-in room or been in the classroom or served at VBS or set up for stay and play or dressed up for trunk or treat. But all that we do is with Jesus Christ in mind to point out the gospel to our children and or to create community among those in children's ministry. The writer of Proverbs, Solomon, says it this way in Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. ESV. I think many read this, understandably so, like a formula. If we train them, then they won't leave the faith. But I believe this proverb means more about the reality that intentional investment in our children with the gospel specifically pays dividends spiritually in ways that we don't always expect or even think about. But if all we're attempting to do is train our children in morality so they don't embarrass us, we skip the motivation behind the morality, which is a gifted holiness that we can walk in and then if that's how we see this, if we're looking at this verse towards morality, we tend to read the verse a bit differently. So what do we do as a church community is that we attempt to contribute to and train the children as part of Church of the Valley in dependence upon the Lord. That is the goal. We want our kids to be dependent upon the Lord. It takes a village to raise a child. You guys have heard this. And it takes a church to raise a disciple of Christ. So at this time, it is my honor to invite our children's director, Erin Riley, up here. And I'm going to ask her a few questions. Yeah! Yeah! I've already embarrassed Naomi, and now it is your turn. All right, sweetie. I mean... Aaron, I have a few questions. We've already talked about these questions. They're on slides. She already has answers. I'm going to ask the questions. Why do we do children's ministry at COV rather than child care? Um, let's me see. I have all the stuff. We'll be fine. We'll figure it out. Yep. Okay. Um, I think the first, the first answer to that question is our... Uh, our children are just as much a part of our community as any adult. And so we provide a space for them to learn and grow just like their parents. You could see this morning, sitting here in the pew listening to us would not suit where they're at, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so we, uh, we have children's ministry across the way and it's tailor-made just for them. Thank you, Raymond. Um, tailor-made just for them. Um, and if you put it in this perspective, I know a lot of us have gone back to school in the last couple of weeks, our, our children, a lot of our families have gone back to school. Parents take a good uh, amount of time deciding where they're even gonna send their child. 
right? And so if you put all that time and effort in you value education and where we send our kids to go to school every day, it's the same with spiritual education. It's the same thing. So if you value the gospel, you value Jesus, you're going to go somewhere where your kids hear about the gospel and hear about Jesus. And so that's what we provide here. Um, uh, We would also be doing a disservice if all we did was watch your children. Um, They would experience the love of Christ through the volunteers, but they wouldn't hear of God's power, of his faithfulness, of his mercy, of his love. And that's kind of what we want to share with them. Um, And also in children's ministry, part of the job, my job is not just to make sure the children are safe and hearing about Jesus. It's to partner with the parents. So um, part of our job is to support the parents as they disciple their children. We only get an hour, an hour and a half with the children on Sunday morning. Parents have them all the rest of the time. And parents are the number one discipler of their children. So we're here to support parents as they disciple their children. So if we didn't bring up Jesus or make him the main focus of our time with the children, um, then we would basically just be providing a quiet time for the parents to hear all of that. But we also want to, to share that with the kids on a Sunday morning so that it goes along with what hopefully all of the parents in here are sharing with their kids and modeling for their kids throughout the week. Um, I do want to share one quick verse um, from Psalm 78, and it's verses um, 4 through 7. It says, We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed decreed statues for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. Now, this is the important part. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. So it's the passing on from generation to generation that we want to emulate here at Church of the Valley. Thank you. All right, Aaron, how is the gospel of first importance throughout all of children's ministry, and Malik asked this in staff meeting, even in nursery? All right. Um, Well, first we've chosen a curriculum that is gospel focused. Um, It's called the Gospel Project, and it walks through. um, So we started it fall of 2021, and it started in Genesis, and it goes all the way from Genesis to Revelation. And right now we are in Matthew, so we're walking through um, actually the teachings of Jesus. Um, so we've gotten that far and we'll continue through. So the hope is by the time that they go from class to class, they would have heard the entirety of the Bible to their level from Genesis to Revelation with Jesus and the gospel of first importance. They have a Christ connection each week. So whatever they're reading, it ties right back into Jesus and, and shows them exactly where Jesus is mentioned, whether he's actually mentioned or not. It's right there in the story and ties it into to Jesus. Um, so that's the, the first part. The second is we do have three classes, nursery, preschool, elementary. So nursery is obviously going to look a little bit different than elementary. A lot of playtime, but they do have a good um, 10, 15 minute they hear the Bible, 
They hear a Bible story. They're given a snack, so they sit still and enjoy that while they're reading and looking at the Bible picture. And then there's one activity that we implement that ties in um, the truth to play. So they're acting out what they're learning. And then nursery is a little bit more. There's a worksheet that introduces the Bible story. They do a manipulative um, to introduce the story as well. And then they hear the Bible story. They review it with questions in the preschool class, which is one of my favorite parts, because they're telling me what they heard and what they're learning. Um, they learn a Bible verse, and then they have two activities that reinforce the, tr the Bible truth for them. Today, they're painting rocks, and they're doing a matching game. So kind of that. There's always like a craft element and a game element, um, so that all kinds of learning are are helped with those activities. And then elementary gets more in depth. They all bring their Bibles. We're showing them how to find books of the Bible, what order they're in, they're learning all of that. Um, and then they actually have their own takeaway time. So similar to what we have in here, they have a takeaway time. For the younger ones, it's a fill in the blank and they answer some questions and, um, and that kind of thing. The older kids actually write out their full takeaway of what they heard, what, how they wanna apply it, um, and that kind of thing. And two, with all these classes, it's less instruction. Like what we're doing now, I'm just talking at you. That doesn't really happen in children's ministry. We do present this story, we read it. Um, sometimes there's a video, but a lot of it is discussion-based because we wanna make sure um, that they understood what they heard, that they can ask questions if they're confused, um, all that kind of stuff. So it's more discussion-based, more play to reinforce the... Um, and I think, and so my verse for that <laughs> comes from James um, 1.22, which is, do not mere, merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. So we're putting into practice what they're hearing. We don't just want them to walk out and regurgitate what they heard, but we want them to actually apply it and then use it at school, on the soccer field, all that kind of stuff, so. Amen. All right, uh, if you're in this room and you serve in children's ministry, would you just raise your hand? Thank you, guys. Praise God for you guys. Thank you. All right, last question. What do you look for in leaders, like these guys, to help serve the children on Sundays and at events? All right, so I think I'll start with the verse this time. Uh, Hebrews 13, 7 says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So let me just give you a little background. This is bonus. I wasn't planning on telling you this, but um, I started going to church when I was four because I was asking my parents questions. And they were like, well, we could give Aaron the worldly answer or we could give Aaron the answer that comes from the Bible, which my parents had stopped going to church at that point. And so they said, I think we need to go back so that Aaron can have the, the foundation and background and the words that come from the Lord, not from what the world says. And so growing up um, in children's ministry, I had these leaders that were living out the gospel in front of me and imitating those things. And I can remember all of that. And so that's kind of the reason why Try not to cry. The reason why um, children's ministry is very important to me because that's where I first heard the gospel. That's where I first fell in love with Jesus. Dang it. 
Um, <laughs> so I want to do that for, for the children in our community. So um, give me a second. So the givens with what I look for in leaders to serve in children's ministry are, um, now I can't read my paper, are, well, they have to be followers of Jesus. That's a given. Um, they have to be uh, pursuing Christ. Like we can tell they're pursuing Christ. They're here. They're consistent. And they desire to grow. And that they um, model dependence on Christ. Tim said we want the kids to be dependent on, on God. Leaders model that. Um, they have a love for the gospel and God's word and sharing it with children. And then they value children as important to our community. So those are the givens. Um, some other things that I look for, people who can work as a team with other volunteers, we're not doing it by ourselves. It takes a large team. We actually currently have, um, well, we're saying goodbye to Naomi, which makes me very sad. Um, but I think we have 24 volunteers. So, because um, it takes eight to 10 volunteers each Sunday morning to make sure that the kids are all cared for and that the gospel is shared with the kids. Um, so we have a large group of volunteers. Um, the other thing is that people who can study, follow, and implement that curriculum I was talking about while providing um, audibles for the discussions, for questions, don't have to have all the answers, but be willing to say, I don't know the answer to what you just asked, but I'll find out for you the next time I'm coming to teach in the class. Or I will send an email to your parents. Or So, um, so being able to do those audibles and um, more discussion, be able to lead discussions, less instruction. And then um, have some understanding, because it is like a class, like school, some understanding of how to manage a group of children and of different ages. And then be available to serve consistently because it's important that we build relationships with the children. Um, one, for separation anxiety for the younger ones. If they see a familiar face, much easier. And it's hard to model if you're not consistent. So um, consistency is the big, the big thing. Well, Do you have any great. other questions? No, that was fantastic. Thank you. Would you guys give her a hand? So as you heard that, some of you were like, hey, I don't have kids, or my kids are heck old. And so here's the thing. It takes a community to raise a disciple. We get to do this together, and we get to care for those of all ages, and we invest in our children of this church because we believe it makes a difference in the kingdom of God. And for these children, and for their parents, and as Aaron quoted, for generations to come. If you have spent any time in the New Testament Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you are pretty aware that Jesus cares about children. But let me take you to a familiar passage where Jesus points out an eternal truth that perhaps we overlook or forget. Mark chapter 10, the shortest of the four Gospels, Mark writes and he says, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. 
And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. The first thing we see is people bringing Jesus' children. The text says, for the laying hands upon them, they believed Jesus was special, and at that very least, Jesus was a prophet of God. And so they wanted him to bless them. We at Church of the Valley, we do dedications of both babies and small children because we believe the children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Whitney Houston, greatest love of all, anyone? All right, it's the name of the sermon. But seriously, bringing their children to Jesus was an opportunity for the sent one from God to bless the children. And we do dedications of babies and children because we ultimately want to affirm and support the parents of children in this community to teach their kids and live out in front of them the gospel of grace. That is our hope. And our confidence is in our salvation because the gospel is true. We do dedications rather than baptisms because far too many people, unfortunately, confuse baptism for salvation. Yet we are not saved by what we do. We are saved by whose we are. And in God's beautiful plan of salvation, he gives us the opportunity to receive his grace and identify with Christ through baptism. But a baby and often a child do not have the ability to understand what Christ has actually done for them just yet. And identify with his life, to identify with his death, to identify with his resurrection, which baptism symbolizes. So we dedicate, and we do baptisms for those who have confessed that Jesus is Lord. But as children, we're being brought to Jesus. His own disciples, those who ought to know him best, rebuked the adults that were bringing these kids to them. What an amazing example of religion, to care more about the religious culture than about a dependent soul. Jesus was important in the disciples' minds, which was true, but he didn't come to lead a worship service. He came to save what was lost. And Jesus was, the text says, Mark writes, he was indignant. <laughs> Probably not a word you've used this week, but the word means to be incensed, to be offended, to be irate. So don't tell me Jesus never got mad. He seemed to get mad often when self-righteous religion was being put in front of him. And the more you and I grasp and are confident in the gospel, the more we'll understand the difference. Last week was amazing. We had guests to the church who many of us know and have invited many times, and they actually showed up and enjoyed the service, and we as a community had that barbecue. That barbecue was legit, guys. Personally, that was my favorite one yet. The food amazing. Even though Malik and Melanie didn't really get any tater tots. Sorry. That pulled pork, that pulled pork. God bless you, Dan Neathling. That was so good. The water play that kept many of our children engaged and possibly a little sunburned. So fun. Thank you, Aaron Riley. But dang, Robin, you, she absolutely killed it with setup and hosting and helping many of us serve our community that day. And never have I ever felt like there was a better way to actually apply what was just preached about, not forcing community. And then we had a barbecue and time together where we got to enjoy one another's company. It was so good. And I gotta say, a community that believes and stands on the gospel is a community that I wanna be a part of, and it's a community I wanna invite others to be a part of as well. 
So going back to Jesus's response about the children being brought to him, he said, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Let's not take this so literally that we think only smaller children can come to Jesus. Sorry, Boston. Sorry, Parker. You guys are too tall. He only wants kids in the 25th percentile. Sorry. No, that's not what he's talking about. Not at all. He isn't even speaking about age. I believe he's speaking about what a child possesses that most of us old farts. Did I just say fart in church? I just said fart in church twice. Please strike that from the record. Us older folk tend to lack what a child possesses, which is innocence and lack of cynicism. They are pure. They are not perfect, yet they are less polluted by experiences that make them see how messed up the world really is. They're purer, purer. As soon as my kids come out, they're like, mine, no. Like, so they're not perfect, but they're definitely more pure than I am. Now, real quick, I have a question, and I want you guys to be honest. This is church. You need to be honest. When you run into something, okay, you've stubbed your toe. You've accidentally ran into something. You bump into something. What do you say out loud? Now, don't say it. But probably something along the lines of chocolate yogurt emoji, huh? Huh? Or you call on the name of the Lord, right? Right? Now, Finley, if we have a picture, this is my little girl. Aww. This is my two and a half year old. And every time Daniel preaches, he brags on his kids. So I'm like, I'm going to do it. This is our miracle baby, Finley. And you don't know this, but she's behind the headboard. She like gets stuck there in our bed just to mess with us and be like, pull me out. She's an innocent little girl to an extent. Now, when she runs into a wall, do you want to know what she says? I'm going to say it. So for those of you who are not ready, maybe earmuffs, okay? Are you ready? Finley spins around in the kitchen. She runs into the wall and she goes, whoopsies. That's what Finley does. And, and to be fair, that's what Ruth does as well. <laughs> I've heard her say it. But Finley says, whoopsies. And it is the cutest, most innocent thing I've ever seen in this two and a half year old. Listen, it's not about not swearing. It's not about good works. It's about the innocence and dependence that a child has, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And probably more than anything, and I want to stress this, a child is dependent, which us older people lose our dependence and we yearn for independence and self-reliance. Like, I don't know, Adam and Eve in the garden? Y'all remember them being told not to do one thing? You had one job, and they couldn't keep that one rule. And here we are. Thanks, Adam and Eve. You're the reason we can't have nice things. Now, Jesus also points out that we should not hinder them, to cause them to stumble, to be a roadblock to their dependence upon Jesus. You guys know Matthew 18. Generally, when we say Matthew 18, you think, okay, someone has sinned. Now we need to go to them. Now, if they don't want to repent, we bring witnesses. Okay, if they still don't want to repent, you bring them before the church. And then if they're still unwilling to repent, what Jesus says is you treat them like a tax collector. And, and if, they're unwill, if they're going to start to engage in such a way to influence others with their sin, unfortunately, you have to ask them to leave. Ha, ah, that's harsh. That's hard. But do you know how Matthew 18 begins? 
Let's read it. Matthew 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called the little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Again, Jesus here in Matthew 18, like in Mark 10, says that the kingdom of God is for children. He doesn't mean only toddlers get saved. They can't even understand grace yet. He points out what they are like. They are dependent. They are in need. And being a Christian means that you know you need a savior. But we ought to not perverse this truth or cause anyone to stumble Jesus, again, uses some pretty strong language to point out how those who hinder others from coming to Christ, I'm going to use an 80s term, are cruising for a bruising. Anyone remember this term? So this is how it continues in verse 6. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck, and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. Wow. You want to know how bad it is to teach something other than the truth of grace? Jesus says it would be better that you drown in the depths of the sea. Wow. Good luck teaching that to our children, Aaron. Enjoy. Jesus came not only to save those who would be dependent upon him, but he came with an eternal perspective that most of us forget about as we live this life. Terrible things happen, church. Crisis cannot necessarily be avoided. People get older, people get sick, people have accidents, life isn't fair, and yet Jesus knew that this life that each of us live, if we are two or 100, is but a mist in comparison to eternity. So Jesus speaks with that in mind. This is why we preach the gospel. This is why we talk about the gospel and attempt to be conduits of grace and generous with our time and generous with our talents and generous with our treasure because this life, it is but a starter. It is but an appetizer of the life we spend with Christ for eternity, but that one's without sin. And so if we have inherited eternal life, which is to know God and to know Jesus, as Jesus says in John 17, 3, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. If we have inherited this eternal life that Jesus speaks of, that we are no longer living as this place, as our home. This life is not our goal this place is not our final resting place. This life we do not retire in. While we have breath in our lungs and a heart that is beating, we who have come to Christ dependent and in need of a Savior live this life with eternity in mind and glorifying King Jesus King with our decisions and our actions. And so hear me. 
Please don't, as you talk about Jesus Christ, as you share with others, as you serve in this community, or if you talk to your neighbors or people that you work with about Christ, do not teach do-gooding over grace. Don't affirm religious action over spiritual dependence. Don't emphasize morality over repentance. And we as a church do what we can to not preach just that to the adults, but we preach the truth to our children on a Sunday morning. But it, it, while we can do it with your kids for, as Aaron said, an hour and a half, parents, your job is to disciple. We spend way less time with them than you do. And we want our children to be engaged so when they graduate, if you will, to big churches, some call it specifically, and then into youth ministry, that the gospel of grace is not foreign and it is not contradicting what we have been taught. Now, this makes me think about youth ministry, one that has fluctuated throughout the years because, well, kids get older, children become teenagers, teenagers become expensive, I mean young adults, And yet we want to have a gospel-centered opportunity for the youth of this church community to have to themselves. We're similar age, similar life stage, and this awkward, let's be real, transformational time can have a safe space where youth and leaders can come together and talk about real-world things from a biblical point of view. I used to do primarily youth ministry before I did college ministry, and I guess whatever it is I do now, uh, adult ministry, I guess. And when I did youth ministry primarily, I learned a lot about growth and I learned a lot about spiritual dependency, and I am so grateful for our very own Karen Miller for stepping up and investing in the youth and a bunch of youth leaders in this church who truly care for the spiritual well-being of our students here at COV. And a lot of you don't know, but four families in the church yesterday who have youth group kids, we got to play Survivor yesterday. And that was the most fun game. And I've been part of some fun games in youth ministry. That was the most fun game I've ever experienced. And while it's not just about fun, it created a connection and it helped stir, uh, spur on community amongst the youth group that I think was invaluable. Now, many of you guys know that Karen had a pretty rough accident a few weeks ago. And it's put her on bed rest for a while. But Mike got her out into their backyard. Laura brought over a camera and filmed this interview so that we, during this message, could see our dear friend and also hear more about youth ministry here at COV. So take a look. What is the purpose of youth ministry at COV? Um, Well, first of all, I just want to say it's so great to see everyone and I miss you all and I hope to be at church soon. So I'm just going to say that. Uh, We have a vision verse for our youth group and it is uh, Ephesians 1.17 and it says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So our official youth group aim is this. It's to create a fun and safe environment where youth, and when I say youth, I'm talking about middle schoolers and high schoolers, where they want to know Jesus better, they get to know Jesus better, and they get to know him in a way that they want to trust him and follow him for their whole lives. 
And the fun thing about youth is that this is the time that they get to make their faith their own. And they get to not just parrot what their parents are doing, but really question and doubt and think about what it is that they believe. And then ultimately we desire God that every youth would know Jesus as Lord and Savior and would want to glorify him with their lives. All right, so you may not know this, but many churches have a common youth group model where they meet twice a week. And there are just great things about that. That means that youth get to engage with like God and scriptures in ways that are relatable and relevant to them. The downside of that is they can often become like isolated or disengaged from the rest of the church. And so at COV, that's something a little bit different. We don't want our middle schoolers and high schoolers to become that those isolated, just, I just go to youth group. And so we do not have anything for them on Sundays during worship services. And we're excited that they get to be in worship service. What have you seen God do through the youth ministry? All right, so I did ask my leadership team this question. I was curious what their responses were. So I am doing a little paraphrasing of what they said. But I'd say one of the key words is that we have seen uh, youth become more engaged, right? Because you can come, you can go to a youth group, you can give the Sunday school answer, Jesus, right? Um, but I feel like as we've gone along, the questions have become more genuine. Um, the people have been more vulnerable. Uh, there's been more questions and doubts, which is really what you want um, at this age and an ability to kind of puzzle out the things that you're struggling with. And so I think we've seen a lot of growth in that area and just in willingness to participate and engage and answer questions. So that's been super exciting. I do feel like we've seen kids like grow in their understanding of scripture and who God is and sometimes like really misunderstandings of, of that. And then it's like light bulb moments where scripture comes alive for them. And they're like, oh, okay, I get it, which is super, you know, like the great moment um, in any ministry. So I feel like we have seen that. And then um, we have seen kids grow in service. How does serving in youth ministry grow our leaders? Or why do people want to serve the youth of COV? Yeah, so I just want to take a moment and say that we have an amazing youth group leadership team. Uh, one of the things I really appreciated about our team is that uh, like we've had uh, youth groups on Sunday after service. And so the team comes at 830 in the morning and we spend a good 15 minutes praying together and then prepping for the morning. Like I just love the commitment and the devotion of the team. And then after youth group, you know, we don't just clean up. We actually uh, kind of meet together and powwow and talk about what went well. Uh, what do we need to improve? Where did we see God move? And so we kind of just have a debrief uh, each time. And that's allowed us to grow because, you know, we're kind of a ministry in its infancy and we have a lot of growing to do. Um, and so that's fun that we have a team that wants to keep making it better. Another thing I want to say about them is um, we just talk about that motives matter, right? Why do you serve in a ministry? And, you know, honestly, youth group ministry, I painted a pretty good picture, but it can be hard. It can be discouraging. There are days when you feel like you don't see God working. 
Um, but I feel like everyone on the team really loves the youth and they love Jesus and they want to see the youth love Jesus. And that's what motivates them to serve, um, you know, month in, month out and um, love these kids well. So just super grateful for each one of them. And it's a joy and a pleasure to work with them. There's a much longer video. It's about 10 minutes, so it's about five. And uh, Karen talks a little bit more about vision and she talks about, uh, she brags on the leaders. And so we will get that video out on social media soon. I'm grateful for this ministry. I'm grateful for those serving the youth because it really, because we as a church really do value students. Hearing about the truth of the gospel is one of the things that we pray that not only do they hear it, but they understand it. And we want to develop leaders to serve and care for and invest in these students. There are not a lot of passages in the New Testament about youth ministry per se. And when we read Paul, read Paul telling Timothy to not let anyone look down upon him because he's young, young's pretty relative because Timothy was 40 at that point. He was a straight up middle-aged man. But I think we forget the context in which Jesus called his first disciples because they weren't mature. They weren't fully grown. They were mostly teenagers. And Peter was at best a very early young adult. These were not fully developed men. These were pubescent teenagers that were closer to the kids of stranger things than adults who they were, who had to live a lot of life and what Jesus uh, specifically was telling them to do. So in Matthew 16, he says, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Denying oneself is not something that naturally happens. I want to make things about me. I want to be selfish. I want the attention and praise. I want it all, if I'm honest. But Jesus doesn't say, don't do that. He says, follow me. And the one who does can deny themselves by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is an instant. I still really want to make things about me. But the more I follow him, the more I'm in his word, the more I decrease, the more he increases. I increase in talking about him. I increase in thinking about him. I increase in wanting others to know and be known by the cure to my sin nature. And his name is Jesus. And he's spectacular. So children, youth, young adults, parents of children, married, single, widowed, elderly, not sure what you are. This invitation is the same. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and get to following. You will not do it perfectly. But progressively, as you pursue the perfect one, God in his grace and mercy will make us less like our old selves and more like his only begotten son. Worship team, why don't you come on up and get prepared. And as they do, I want you to know that this invitation from Jesus to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him is scandalous. For a rabbi to call any and every type of person to be his disciple, and yet God loves the Jew. God loves the Gentile. God loves the Samaritan, the Republican, the Democrat, the dark-skinned, the light-skinned, the conservative, the liberal, the same-sex attracted, the heterosexual, the non-binary. Jesus Christ's sacrifice was open arms to follow him. And while he will take you as you are, he will. He won't let you stay the same. Your identity in whatever it is prior to Christ 
His offer to follow him is him replacing your identity and justification with himself and his finished work. And while I didn't first believe and confess until I was 20 years old, and I didn't probably first repent truly until I was 30, and I probably didn't truly emphasize the gospel until I was about 35, and I probably didn't truly stand for the gospel alone until I was 40. I really got to say, God is in the business of progressively revealing himself and his grace as we pursue and follow him. So what are you waiting for? If you're yet to bow a knee, if you're yet to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, if you're yet to identify with Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection through baptism, what is stopping you? And Paul, through the leading and the power of the Holy Spirit, said to the church in Galatia these profoundly important words in Galatians 3. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ had clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So when, church, you come to Christ, all of the identifying things that made you who you were, your uniqueness, your hobbies, your culture, while none of those things cease to exist, they become secondary. They decrease because Christ and his identity is offered to us. And what I am here to tell you today and every day is Jesus' invitation to clothe yourself with Christ, to be identified by his work rather than attempting to work your way to God is offered in grace through faith to every single one of us. And we can become children of God through understanding independence, our need for a savior and a Lord to lead and guide and transform and clothe us with Jesus and his finished work. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you that it's true. And I pray, God, that you would allow this time as we sing songs to praise your name, I pray that you would get all the glory and praise. I pray that we would grasp whatever that next thing in our, our obedience step, in our journey of following you, whatever that thing is that you would have us do, God, would you be loud <laughs> in our lives and would we obey? Would you give us the faith to obey you? We thank you for Jesus. In his name, amen.